name is Galit Friedlander. I've worn many hats in the dance world over the last 15 plus years and have created Dance Speak as a platform for people in the dance industry to share their stories and blueprints for success. So listen up and get ready to be inspired, learn something new, and get personal with the people behind the movements you love. I'm sitting here today. It's a very, very special episode mm. with the Tyrone, the Bone Proctor of Soul Train, extraordinary dancer, teacher, and human being. Yes. And you're very, very special to me, Tyrone, because I have had very few people that I feel have mentored me. And if I may say, I really feel like you've mentored me. We met around 2005. We're trying to figure it out when Brian Green brought you into a class like, hey guys, you want to learn about whacking? This man was there. And we started training. It was a small group of us at Faisal's, two-hour sessions, not sessions, but classes in the summer. And you had us all dancing so strong and all looking like ourselves, unique dancers. And I learned so much from you. I want to do it justice that it was a brief time that affected me so much. Mm-hmm. And I have you here today to ask you questions. I want to know more about your story. I think it's one that, unfortunately, our generation, my generation doesn't have enough access to. So, yeah. Tyrone, when did you start dancing? In uh, the mid-60s. The mid-60s. And what did you start with? Motown, Motown, the beginning of Motown, mm-hmm. uh, Mary Wells, uh, The Miracles, I'm trying to think who else came out there at first, the Supremes and The Temptations came later, but it was through that, with along with a little bit of James Brown, Jackie Wilson, pushed on the side. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Were you doing like the dances that were out at the time? Were you dancing at home with friends? What was your beginning like? No, the beginning was very different. It was, um, it has all to do with my family. My family uh, means the world to me. I thank God for them. They were the ones that my mother and her sisters would always congregate over my aunt's house where my grandmother lived. And this would be every weekend. And when they came over there, they would bring their children who happened to be my cousins. Now, they were a bit older than I was, maybe five, six, seven, you know, years older than I was. And they had a basement, so the teenagers, because they were teenagers at the time, they would go downstairs and they would be practicing steps for whatever. My mother and, and my aunts would be upstairs in the dining room doing what they do. and. I was too old to be upstairs and too little to be downstairs, if that makes sense. <laughs> or too little to be downstairs and too old to be upstairs. But anyway, they made me go downstairs with them and uh, had my cousins watch me. And at the time when they had them watch me, I wasn't interested in what they were doing. I was just a little boy and I was just running all around the place and I was getting on my cousins' nerves while they were sitting there trying to... Uh, practice their dance moves and in the process of of doing that because I was around that environment you know I got to understand it and it wasn't till years later did I start developing should we say a talent for uh for dancing but it was it was it was due to my cousins that's how I first started wow 
Uh, can you tell us about the story of you leaving, I think it was Philly, and saying you're going to go on Soul Train or LA? What was that story? I remember you telling me. Oh, God, that story. <laughs> well, what happened was I was still in high school. I think it was 1970 going to 71. And it was a program on, the sh on television that really, you'd have to go back into the era. Back in the era, there was, uh, I'm originally from Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is, I, I, it's a city of its own country. And I say that because there aren't too many cities like Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a, it, it, it's a family-orientated place, you know, blue-collar, you work, you know, uh, you raise a family, and in the process of raising a family, you know, young people they come to an age where they start to develop themselves. And in the process, because I was always from junior high school, dancing, 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 new television show came on by the name of Soul Train. Soul Train, when it hit, it was just an instant hit. And one of the reasons why it was an instant hit was because at that time, you didn't see too many black people on television. And it was a thing where, you know, black people were... Uh, were looked at as second-class citizens, third-class citizens. You had a white entitlement. It was a bad time. So when you saw a show like that come on that promoted a lot of positivity about black people, it was important for, uh, it was something that would make you look because when you seen black images on TV, it was always something negative about them either killing or being killed or in a riot or, or, or it was something negative. So when Soul Train came on, it was a positive influence. So you sat there and you watched this and I was like, oh my God, and then it had to do with dance too. So I remember going around in school telling people, you know, I'm gonna go on that show, I'm gonna be on there. And people were looking at me like, yeah, right, you ain't gonna do that, you ain't gonna do that. So when I graduated high school in 71, I instantly moved from Philadelphia to New York. I lived in New York for about six months, came back to Philadelphia, worked at this restaurant as a busboy, saved up all my money, bought a one-way trip ticket to LA. Well, actually not to LA, but to California, because when I first went to California, I stayed in San Francisco. I was there, I think, maybe two or three weeks, and then I moved from there, then I moved down to LA. And LA was, oh God wasn't what it, it's not like what it is now you know LA was extremely clean it was thriving you could tell that it was thriving the only negative thing about LA was that the transportation you know the buses it was very few you know they they didn't have a lot of that there was a lot of cars though so if you didn't have a car you would be in trouble and I arrived in L.A. September the 22nd, 1972, at 10.22 p.m. Pacific Time on a Tuesday. That's when I arrived. And I know that because I've always said that when the plane touched the ground, it was extremely important because I was going to do something that I wanted to do, which is get on a show, and I had absolutely no idea how to go about doing it or anything you know it's really difficult when you come to a city and you know absolutely nobody and you come with a trunk full of clothes and, and everything
So I made that happen, and I think I met the Soul Train dancers at a place called the Summit, and that's not too far from Baldwin Hills. Mm-hmm. It's on the hill, and they would always be dancing at this place called the Summit. So I went there and I befriended a gentleman by the by the name of uh, Little Joe Chisholm. Little Joe Chisholm was, I think, one of the matriarchs of the show. To me, he was like the glue that kept all of the dancers together because he knew most of them and everybody. So through Little Joe, I met him and I'd gotten on the show. I think I had only been in L.A. maybe not even a month or a couple, not even two months, and and I had gotten my wish and I had danced on the show. That's how I uh, got on the show. Now, how I got on the show exactly was through... Well, in order to go on Soul Train, let's back up a little bit. In order to go on Soul Train, you had to go through an audition. And the audition was held off of, uh, I think it was it was close to Adams in Western Avenue. And it was a place called Dinker's Recreation Center. And Pam Brown, she was the one that, since she worked there, you know, her and Don was the one, we, that's where they chose the dancers. I didn't have to go through that process because what happened to me, I had missed that. So they wanted me to go on the show. So what I wound up doing was because it was taped at, uh, in Hollywood, you had to go through the gate and your name had to be on the list. If it wasn't on the list, then you weren't allowed to get in. It was an actual TV studio that we filmed in. And I missed the audition. So little Joe wanted me to go. So what wound up happening is that I wound up going in his trunk of his car. What? In order to get past the guard. So we set up in the trunk. I can pull me out of the trunk and then we start dancing. Now, the other thing is that, you know, they tape the show one weekend a month. We tape two shows on Saturday and two shows on Sunday. What were you going to ask me? Oh, I was going to just ask you to say how tall you are for that trunk story. Oh, six feet. Okay, go on. <laughs> six feet with a, a 26-inch waist. So we go on set. Oh, my God. Set. Oh, Lord. You know, when you're watching something from on television, it looks much bigger when you watch it on television. Then when you watch it in the actual studio... It condenses. It looks much smaller, mm. but still, and, and still very relevant. Now, I came on Soul Train at a time where most of the black dancers that came on there, they they had no idea what their worth was. They did. They had no idea the power of what the television could do for them. All that they wanted to do was dance, dance, dance. That's all that they wanted to do. So, got on the show, and I'm on there, and Don Cornelius is on the side, you know, talking to whoever he's talking to, and I'm like, all right, so I'm here. Now what? Now I'm, now I'm hoping and I'm praying because my name wasn't on the list. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to throw me out of here. That was the first thing that came up to me. I said, and there's no way in the world that I'm going to stand here and I'm supposed to be on the list. And I'm not on the list. And I kept telling little Joe that. But it, it, for the whole weekend, they didn't do that. They had me stay on. And that was a blessing. The other thing is that when I got on there, 
you had to go in there with partners, and, and I never thought about that until actually I got on the show, because I never thought about a partner. I was just thinking about me just being on the show. So once I got on the show, oh, God, once I got on the show, Pat Davis, who was a regular dance on the show, she said, well, let me introduce you to my cousins. So she introduced me to, to this girl by the name of Sharon Hill. Sharon Hill was a very dark-skinned girl, very dark. But her skin was so even, so smooth, so beautiful. She was probably one of the darkest skinned women on the show. But her features were so defined. They were so beautiful. And they said, well, you know, you want to dance with her? And I'm like, sure. I didn't even know her from Adam. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll dance. And I've danced with her ever since. It's been a, it, it's been a good run for me. You spoke a little bit about the treatment, or you touched on the treatment of dancers on Soul Train. Uh, what was it like working those long hours? What are the things that we didn't see? You didn't see the risers that we had to sit on. Mm. Sometimes you'd have to wait and wait. I remember one time James Brown's uh, was supposed to appear on the show, and we had to wait for him because his flight was late. And then when he got there, we had to set up. So, you know, uh, you didn't see... Uh, outside of the studio, there were bathrooms. That's where you'd go to the, the bathrooms, where the guys would be in the other bathrooms, because we would change in the bathroom. And the girls would be in their bathrooms. You, you didn't see that. You didn't see the, the way they fed us at lunch. They had like a... What is this, about an 18-gallon trash can? Mm-hmm. Is that about this high? that would be filled with ice and water. And then there would be cans of soda in there. And then they would bring in these boxes of chicken. I think the first was Goldenberg, and then I think they changed it to KFC. Mm -hmm. And you would get two pieces of chicken, one biscuit, and a can of soda. And that's what you'd get for lunch. For And how many hours were you shooting for again? Uh, We would shoot from... uh, It would start somewhere at about maybe 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or 12, around in there. And the first things that we would shoot would be the regular dance clips, Mm -hmm. which would be, uh, I call them dance clips because it would be the records where we would just dance to the music. You know, because on Soul Train, they would play music and we would dance to it. That would be the first thing. Then we'd break for lunch. Then after lunch, when we come back, then that's when the guest stars would come in. And then the Soul Train line would be probably the last thing that we would do. Mm. And like what time would your day end normally? Sometimes maybe 10, sometimes maybe 11. Okay, so it was about 12-hour shoot days. Yes. And you had one lunch? Yes, we had one lunch, and we could get on the microphone. They would have, uh, they would consider us, we would be audience dancers. But in the process of becoming audience dancers, we've also became stars. And my question, I, I, I just have a question for, uh, for SAG and AFTRA. I just think that it's very unfortunate that because we did this this long mm-hmm. and because we were black and we were a black show, that none of us was allowed to even, even to this day, uh, because of what we've done, been able to join SAG and AFTRA at all. You know, I can't join SAG and AFTRA because of what I did. And I think that's really unfair, and I think it's unkind. I just want to make sure I, I say that. Yeah. And I hope SAG and AFTRA is listening, 
because it's not right. It's just not right. Not after all that I've been through. Then you get somebody else to come up there and do that. Then all of a sudden they get everything in the world. But you get some, some, some little black dancers that change the whole history, the climate of dance. And they can't get nothing. Mm-hmm. They, no union, no nothing. That's not good. That's, that's not right. But I just wanted to say that and I hope that gets in there. And if anybody wants to change that, they can contact me and they know how. I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I mean, that's something really important you're touching on that I think happens. It's extremely important. It's dancers. Well, yeah, I guess, what do you have to say to, I'm going to draw a parallel, not that it's the same, but, you know, dancers who take a job with a really big name, and it's not union, and they don't get paid much, but it's like exposure. Do you think that dancers shouldn't take those jobs? Because, you know, even today, like some of the biggest opportunities a dancer might have will screw them financially. Okay, this is what I think about dancers today. There'll be dancers that will do jobs for free, mm-hmm. naturally, and that's okay. But the one thing that I've realized in my career is that whatever has my name on it, after it's over, I want it. Because I'm entitled to it, because it's my name, it's my likeness. So let's just say they do a flyer, and they have my name on it, I want the flyer after the show is over. Oh, okay. And that's for proof. Now what I tell young dancers, I tell them this. I said, let's say you're in a position where somebody wants you to do a uh, uh, show. Mm-hmm. And the people, the organizers are clearly telling you, well, you know, we can't pay you. It's okay. What you need to do at that point, you need to ask the organizer, if I'm going to do this this way, all that I need from you is a letter of appreciation. That you keep so that when people ask you what type of work you've done, You can Xerox the letter and send it to them and say, well, this is what I did. This is my letter of appreciation because I did this. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's your receipt to say that you did this job, opposed to just doing a job and walking away from it and not getting anything. I often tell tell them that, you know, and it should be on a letterhead. Mm. And it should be signed by the event organizer or the person that owns the company. And a letter of appreciation is just that, a letter of appreciation. Yeah, you're being given something still. What were the dancers on Soul Train doing in between shoots? Everything. Tell me. They were all, you know... For money, for fun, what was life like when you're on such a monumental show? And at the same time... Most of the dancers that danced on Soul Train, I'm sure... I don't know, you know, because I can't speak for all the dancers, mm-hmm. but most of the dancers, I'm sure, live with their parents. Mm-hmm. So it was an easier road for them. For myself and maybe Jeffrey, it was a little bit harder because we were away from home. So which meant that we had to be a little bit more concerned about what, what we're doing. So what, were you taking other jobs while you were on Soul Train? How were you making ends meet? Other jobs? Okay. Oh, my God. <sighs> Nobody wanted to work. They just wanted to dance on Soul Train. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm sure there were some people that worked. I know a gentleman by the name of uh, Leonard Jones that danced on the show. He danced for uh, Zyler and Zyler, which happened to be one of the number one uh, male suits uh, stores in L.A. at the time. Mm-hmm. Myself, I, I had in, in and out jobs here and there. Because it seems like, I mean, oh, I don't mean to be disrespectful with this, but it's, were they compensating you enough to really live on? With two pieces of chicken and, yeah, and bread and, and, yeah, and a can like, of soda? Yeah, no. no. 
No, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But if you were opportunistic, you would know how to use what was happening to you mm-hmm. and make that work. There were there were people on the show that did that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Demita, The Lockers. There were a couple people that did that. You know, I was fortunate enough to... Um, at I think in the year 72 or 73, Don Cornelius thought of putting together a national tour. And it would be comprised of certain dancers from the show mm-hmm. that would represent the rest of the dancers. And he would have a show like that. And then he would have different artists like Eddie Kendricks, The Silvers, The Whispers, The Moments, people like that perform. And we would go and we would perform in different cities. The dancers that he selected were hand-selected by him. Mm-hmm. He hand-selected each dancer. So which meant that it was, I think, on the boys' side, it was Mr. X, Gary Keys, Scooby-Doo, Don Campbell, and myself. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky enough to be on the tour. On the women's side, it was Pat Davis, Demita Joe, Sharon Hill... Freddie Maxey, Lynn Perkins, uh, it would be people like that, Mm -hmm. on on the other hand. And what we would do is we would open up the show. We would get up there, and uh, we'd be the first ones to come out. It would start with the Soul Train Dancers, Mm -hmm. because the the, the, the tour was called Don Cornelius and the Soul Train Dancers Present. So it would be us coming out, then after we come out and go back, then Don would come out, and then Don would talk and then introduce the next group or the next singing group, that, the, the, the singing groups that would come out. And we would do that. Now, we did get paid for that. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of uh, things that came about it. You, you had a lot of different groups that came off the show. Uh, one of them was Jermaine Stewart. You had Shalimar. You had High Energy. There was a lot of groups that came off the show as well. Mm-hmm. Did you have... In this time frame before Soul Train, during, did you have any formal training as a dancer? Nothing. Ooh. I didn't. Yeah. But and some people, some people did. Let me let me say this about Soul Train. Soul Train was comprised of a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. They all weren't dancers. You had some people that danced on the show that were extremely good dancers. You had some people that were on the show that just looked good in front of the camera. Yeah. Then you had some people on the show that were very fashion orientated. You know, it was all about the fashion. So if you put all of that together, you'll have yourself a really delicious kind of show. Was the were there politics behind the scenes? There's or, you know, always there's politics the and there's politics and everything. Shade. You know, uh, there was shade and everything. You know, people would be, why is he up there? How come she's doing that? I want to do this. There, is all that, but the one thing that they never had on Soul Train was an actual physical fight. We never fought. There was mm. never a fight. Never. Not once. Through the 30 something years. Mm. Not one physical fight. Now, there was attitude, there was resentment, there was all of that, but that's a na- those are natural emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. People get over it, you know? How did you um, learn to have your presence read on camera? Because you were great, and you came off the plane, and you went on Soul Train. Like, Did you have any tough lessons there? Well, the only lesson that we did was when we, <laughs> when we watched the show, we would take the show two Saturdays and two Sundays. 
So we would watch the shows like everybody else mm-hmm. would. And then we would critique what we do. And then we would fine-tune it. Mm. The important thing is that when that camera came, when you could always tell when you were on television because the camera had a red light. And when that light went red, then you knew whatever it is, you're there. Mm-hmm. Point blank, because that means that you're there. Don didn't do many retakes at all. Mm. What you see is what you got. That's one of the things that made Soul Train so great is the fact that it was all natural. Did you have a, a favorite artist that impacted you come on the show? There were several. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my God. Can I think my number one artist that I loved the most would be Donna Summer. I just oh. love her. And you could tell you could tell that because when she came on, there was a question and answer period. And Don would go up there and he... Because I would be just like... <laughs> I'd be palpitating because I'm like, oh my God, it's Donna Summers. And I'm like, wow. And uh, he would, he would, you know, there was a time where you could ask the stars your a question. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what question I asked her. But he said, he said, Bone, calm down, calm down, calm down. Uh, we, we know you love her. And it was, it was a great moment for me. Wow. I can imagine being also in the presence of like these very successful artists or monumental artists would have impacted you it was interesting yeah it was interesting because when the artist came on let's just say aretha aretha franklin when aretha franklin came on she was at her height she was she had maybe a 14 number one hits and blah blah this and so many gold up so she came on a hit and we're sitting there looking at her going oh my god we're right, we're next to where I can touch you. We're right there, mm-hmm. right next to her. And she was, she was like, oh, oh, oh. They were even more, anatom- they were more, ad- ad- they were admiring us even more because we were regulars on the show and they could see us every week. And they're like, oh, and it was like a, a, a mutual kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This was a progression that happened a lot. Because they could literally see us on, on, on television and we're just looking at them. And it's, it was real strange. Real strange. <laughs> that's the thing about TV that's awesome. What was your experience when your time with Soul Train ended? Mm. Well, let's just say we all have highs and we all have lows in life. Mm. I must admit, that was probably one of the lowest points of my life. I'm, I'm, Sorry. I'm surprised that I, I'm surprised I, I, I might even start tearing up now. Oh. I danced on the show from 1972 to 1980 without missing one taping. And when I left, I kind of left under mm, bad, uh, which was which was fixed later on, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of bad circumstances with Don. But, you know, it was retrieved a little later on in life. Mm -hmm. But it was was not a pleasurable time for me. When I left L.A. to begin with, it was really sad. Mm -hmm. The move to New York was, mm, it was bittersweet. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I am too. What was, can you speak about, because um, you're in the dance world, mm-hmm. for I sure. I speak to you about anything. Can you, <laughs> I love it. Um, did you kind of, did you take a break from the dance world at that point? 
Oh, well, well, New York, New York is a, it's a, um, it's a thick city. Yeah. You have to have a thick skin to be in New York. Now, you have to also remember that I'm coming off of a television show that has had, that, that has had its glory. Mm -hmm. And the show is maybe slipping a little because the disco era is now ending and it's coming into something else. Mm -hmm. So there's a little change in there. So me coming to New York at that very same time, it was like really kind of, I go into clubs and I start doing what I do, which is I start dancing and they're looking at me like, like to say things like, you know, stop trying to be a show off, you know, uh, it was like uh, 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 things like that, you know, and so which made me kind of go into myself and stop because I was already popular. They knew who I was when I was in there, but they were kind of like, hey, yeah, that was Soul Train, you're in New York now, kind of thing. So I kind of stopped that. Mm. So I kind of stopped dancing, and, 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 and I got a little bit more into what I thought was in the early 70s, a little bit more towards modeling, but the problem with the models is that I could have done a good job, but again, you know, white people were uh, prevalent in that. You know, they, it, it wasn't, it, you could only be Renault and, and, and a couple of other male models that were actually doing it. The rest of them, we were all struggling. Mm. You know, I never got to be, I, I never got to do as much as I could have, but I was acknowledged by a couple of photographers so photographers did take photos of me and they took very good photos of me too thank you uh danny deese danny deese was probably and, and and i give him credit because he was one of the ones that believed in me and i and, and 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 i owe him a lot because i don't know what i would be or where i would be at if it, if it if, if if for him not believing in the fact that i could do this mm. because you also have to understand that at that time you know, they weren't having male models. They just weren't having it. You know, the the the, the, the that racism was 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 prevalent all through that, mm. all through it. It was it was it was not a pretty era. Not a pretty. Mm. My grandfather told me a long time ago: same does not mean equal. Mm. Like equal, even now, you know, they think that because they can smile and be nice to you, that that's the same. Meanwhile, you can't do half of what they can do because of being privileged because of they're used to getting what they what what they get, and then they say you know, black people need to be. But I'm going through, I'm going all through another whole tangent here. But it's here. very no, it's very interesting what you're saying because you're speaking about something that a lot of people, if you're not going through that, don't know exist, and I think it's important. Well, this is the generation that I'm talking about is a whole another generation yeah. in here, and even with this generation, it's the the, the privilege is still. There's a stink that's still there. Yeah. You know, when it comes to dancers, you know, even though your teachers, your stronger dancers are people of color, they'll do it, but they'll give it to a white person because they think that that's the belief that they think that's going to sell the product, mm -hmm. which has to do with producers. But we'll talk about that's them a TV little later. Film. Um, can you speak about whacking? And I'm asking for, because I get asked these questions... 
And I think that you are such a great person to answer them. If somebody asks you, I mean, how dare, but if somebody asks you, what is whacking? For people who don't know what it is, how would you break that down without showing? Whacking is not a dance. It's a performance. And it's very clear. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Very simple. And what it is is that in movement, through your movement only, just through the way you move, your head, your body, your feet, your neck, your arms, your fingers, you have to make people see what they hear. Mm-hmm. That's what whacking is. It's very simple. And what's, what was your introduction? Was there an introduction to whacking on Soul Train? Oh, was there? about that. Oh, was there? Oh, was my God. Was it a style God. that was already happening? Was it... Just how y'all were dancing, and you like put a name on it, or tell well, me about that. Let's go back. Let's go back to my friend Little Joe. Well, Little Joe would take me to all of these different places. One place that he took me to was called the Paradise Ballroom. The Paradise Ballroom. You have to remember that in the early seventies, and you're talking about uh, 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 you're talking about a gay lifestyle. In the early seventies, it was it was. Hard. It was hard to be gay and out in the early 70s. Most of the people that were gay were probably in the closet. But then you had, because each generation wants to be defined by themselves, you had a new generation of people that wanted, that, that wanted to start coming out and being who they are. This is where you get Stonewall, I guess, in, in the eight in, 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 in the mid sixties, you know, the, the Stonewall riots, because you start having each generation want to have more. When it comes to dancers, you know, dancers there was only bars, there weren't a lot of clubs, you know, and this is in New York or, or there. So the clubs started to happen like maybe in the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, in in LA, it was like maybe in the early seventies, and they opened up these clubs, and the clubs turned in to be kind of a refuge for the gay people, because it was a place where they could go and be themselves without being discriminated, or talked about or laughed about, and they could just go in and be able to create on their own. And thank God they did, and this is what they've done. Now at the very same time. Uh, the music was changing and and gay people were the first to grab a hold of that. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. When somebody asks what's the difference, I just want it to be heard by from your mouth to people's ears, difference between whacking and voguing. Because they get confused. They get very confused. There's nothing to be confused about. It's... It, it would be the same thing about what's the difference between uh, locking and popping. You're talking about something that is done by different groups of people mm-hmm. at different times. Mm-hmm. The difference is is that whacking slash punking slash posing would be in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And remember I said that these are generational people. So you're talking about each generation wants to be defined by themselves. So you have the first, this one generation of young people, their, de- their definition would be this dance that they do, which would be whacking, posing, and, 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 and punking. 
and this is in the early 70s. Now, the thing that influences this the most is music, because music is key in everything. You, you Dance doesn't, you know, dance comes from music. Music doesn't come from dance. So you're talking about the time that, the time that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Also, where this is happening. You know, on the, east, on the East Coast, I don't know what was happening there, but on the West Coast, I was here. Mm-hmm. On the West Coast, what they were doing, they, they had started to do something called posing. This is where, when I, when I went into the Paradise Ballroom with Little Joe, this is what I saw. I saw people specifically take, and this is the first time that I've ever seen it, they specifically took parts of the instruments that they use to create the music, mm-hmm. excuse me, parts. And the one part that they used is the bass line. They ignored everything else, but they moved only to the bass line. So if the bass line is going boom, 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 that's what you moved on. P.S. Papa was a Rolling Stone, right? P.S. Papa was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> now, at that very same time, you also had to go through the speeds there was 45 33s and 78 those are three different types of records you could buy the 45s were more or less the singles mm-hmm. you know they were the singles the 33s was more of the albums so that the singles came from the 70s 8s was something that they would be playing like in the i think the 30s or the 40s somewhere back there that that was an older thing. So they kind of stayed closer to the 33s or the 45s. So what happened at this time when Papa was a Rolling Stone, I think it lo- largely had to do with the, uh, uh, in 1970, Isaac Hayes did Shaft, which was an instrumental, which was done for the music, which was done for the movie. It made such an impact on the music industry that I think, this is just a personal opinion, I think it revolutionized everything. Because from that point on, you started to have people clearly elongate their songs. And they weren't doing this. Now, they weren't doing this in America. They were doing this in Europe. Mm. America was on the same old, same old. But in Europe, they were smart enough they understand that they say, well, if we can extend this, extend the music and put more of a breakdown in the music and extend it, it would be, and this is what, and this is what gay people congregated to. Now, at the same time, you'd go to a straight club and they would only be playing the top 40 or the top 10 that you hear on the radio. In a gay club, it would be completely different. You would be hearing versions, some of the versions of top 10 but they would be a little bit pushed there would be a little bit more because you'd start hearing breakdowns and all of this other stuff which which elongated so which meant that if you had a 45 which would be about 2 minutes and 47 seconds it then becomes on a 12 inch it then becomes 7 minutes or 6 minutes mm-hmm. do you see what I'm saying with the breakdown in it so when the breakdown did happen because of the because of the way they played music in gay clubs, because it was all about what was coming out of the speakers. It was, it was, it was the woofers, the tweeters, the, the, uh, the bass. They made that so prevalent that, that, that when you hear that, you automatically would jump to it. In a, in, in a straight club, 
they weren't that concerned with that. They were just a little bit more concerned with just pushing the music out. Versus the sound quality also. Uh, versus the sound quality. The sound quality was more important in in a in, in a gay club because when you go to a gay club you would hear the boom boom you wouldn't hear that in a straight club at, mm-hmm. at that time because disco wasn't prevalent it was becoming the and because of all of that you had these these young gay people that come in there and 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 not only were they talented but they were creative they put more of who they were and what they was in those songs and I'm saying who and what they were, because you know, whatever they did in 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 junior high school and high school, if they had some sort of technique, if they were a gymnast, whatever they did, if they did karate, they would throw all of that in the mix so that so that you could make people see the music. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then it became more of an individualistic kind of thing, opposed to something that's random that everybody's doing. So for whacking, what would you say the main dance influences were? All the music. The music. The music is key. It's that's the first thing, because okay. if you don't if you don't have that syncopation, that rhythm, that 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 beat, it's gonna dumb down or water down that. Mhm. And then the movement quality, where is it coming from? Like that, it has to come from somewhere. The movement and emotion quality is coming from. Places that you wouldn't even you wouldn't even think of, such such as uh, you know during the day, you know they would go home and they would watch old movies, you know, uh, or they would take, they would look at photographs of old people. A perfect example: Garbo, maybe Marlena Dietrich. If you go and you look at their black and white photos, mm-hmm. you can see. In just the still photos that they do, you can see the emotions that are in their hands, in their face. You can see all of that. So they added all of that. Then you go back and you look at what drag queens do on stage. They just did what a drag queen do on stage. What they what they've done on stage, and they and they and they put it on the floor. Mm-hmm. It was all beat orientated. Mm-hmm. So all of that all of that mattered. Then. You'd go and and they would watch old 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 musicals, mm-hmm. like when you see perfect example, Marilyn Monroe, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. If you look at that, if you look at that video, you'll start to see the shape of it. You know, if you look at Rita Hayworth when she did this thing called Gilda, she did a movie called Gilda. I forgot what the song is. Towards the end of the movie, she does a song where she's coming out half drunk. You'll you'll start to see it there. Mm-hmm. There are many 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 different places that they that they were inspired to do this from. But those were some of the crucial ones. And during the day in the seventies, that's when they would play like the old old movies, you know, the old uh, musicals, all of that stuff. So you can look at it and you can do it. All that they did is they just applied all of that to that music that was coming out. You know, mm-hmm. everything. Everything, timing is, is, is extremely important. I mean, you know, this isn't something that was just stored out. This is just something that, that happened. It was a progression. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And a lot of the dancers on Soul Train also, because I'm trying to dissect it a bit more, is what were their dance backgrounds? Because it had to have, like, when I look at old footage, I mean, you're seeing other dance styles also along with it. 
I don't think. Well, I don't think I don't think Pat Davis. I don't think Pat Davis has had a technique. Mm -hmm. I know Don Campbell did not have a technique. Mm -hmm. Tony Basil was technique. What about I think, social uh, dances of the time, just like the grooves that people were doing? They were just grooving. Mm -hmm. Demita had a little bit of technique. Mm -hmm. they, she had stretch. She had she had some sort of training. Mm -hmm. Some people did. Some people didn't. Some people were natural at it. Some people that took what they did that was discipline that their, their dance training and they just made it soulful mm. what was your perspective like so i know my perspective of when i first met you around 2005 ish mm -hmm. um what was your experience being reached out to were you found by brian green did you know him or what's your side of the story it was this it started in the in, in the 90s mm -hmm. My little brother, I have a little brother, everybody should know who he is, it's Jeffrey Daniels, that's my little brother. Mm. He danced on the show with me. He lived in Japan, he emailed me, or he called me, or we got in touch with each other one day, and he starts saying, Tyrone, you need to come to Japan again, because they're trying to do, they're trying to whack, they're trying to do this, they're trying to do that. And I was telling Jeffrey, please, I'm not going, I don't want to go, blah, blah, blah. And then when I saw Brian, because I think Brian, Brian had already been to L.A., so I'm sure he, because whacking came from there, mm -hmm. he did that. So when I saw Brian, he kept asking me, well, uh, uh, you know, uh, and he was doing this for years. And I'm like, don't nobody want to learn this? No, 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 no. And then the next thing I know, there were other teachers that weren't there that was teaching it. Yeah. But I, want, I need to go back and get, because I think I digressed a little bit, because you asked me a question was the difference between whacking and, and voguing. Yes. And I said it was a generational thing. And when they did voguing, voguing came from the East Coast. Yeah. And it came from like it, the, the late 70s, and, 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 and that evolved from music, from, from what was now being called disco, had now translated into something called house mm -hmm. that they were doing in gay clubs. So it came from there. Then at the very same time when that happened, you also start seeing uh, in the early 70s, black female models start doing the runways in Paris. Such as Grace Jones, Beverly Johnson, Iman, Pat Cleveland. All of these girls start doing the runway. So what they start doing is in New York, they had a thing called the pier, which is down on Christopher Street. If you walk all the way down to the end of Christopher Street, you'll go to a pier. And it's right there that they would congregate every day because at that point, you're talking about the early, not early 80s, when gay people wanted to be themselves and when they started to start proclaiming themselves, their family would be throwing them out of the house. Yeah. And they had nowhere to go, so they all shifted down to this one place and they had those boom boxes and in the boom boxes they would play the tapes of some of these house music and then that's when they would start walking all up and down and da 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 You know, it was, it, it was something that, that, that and, and that came from beauty pageants as well because in the early 60s and in the 50s gay people because they weren't out it they weren't out so much the 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 thing for them to do would be to watch these beauty pageants they love watching the beauty pageants because in the 50s and the 60s 
because they had the long gowns and the girls walked and all of this other stuff. So it, you know, it kind of promoted all of that. So all of that fit together. And, 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 and I thank God for uh, the houses. You know, the houses came to be, and thank God they did because they saved a lot of young lives. You know, because when nobody else wanted them, they were, they were able to, uh, perfect example, Pepper LaBasia would, would, would have a lot of these kids come and stay with them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all in it, it's all in the, uh, the 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 movie. Paris is burning. Paris is burning. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll literally see her. Yeah, you know they. She sits there and she says, sometimes they bump my authority. Sometimes they listen to me. But but that's what happens in a family. Yeah. And you know, I thank God for for her and 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 uh, 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 Paris Dupree and all these other people for uh, for shining a light in Angie for shining a light so that so that they could give these kids some sort of direction and guidance because other than that god forbid if it wasn't for them I, lord knows where they would be yeah do you see what i'm saying and also willie ninja oh. you know I, I can't i can't not talk about Bogan without talking about him yeah you know you know it, it, it and and i was just blessed that i could literally see that and actually see them doing all of this so I went through all of this, but I just wanted to make sure. And the other thing about that is that Wacking was on the West Coast and, and, and Voguing was on the East Coast. Wacking was in the early 70s and, Wack, and Voguing was like in the 80s. It, 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 it really became popular in the 80s. It was developed through the 70s, but it was popularized in the 80s. That's when they, start, that's when they really start having the houses and the balls and all the other stuff. Even though that that was happening a long, long, long time ago in uh, in, in, in 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 gay culture, mm. all of it has been the drag queens, the balls. It was all it 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 it, it was always there, mm. and the younger the, the younger generation just took a little bit of what they were doing and made it their own, in essence, or developed it enough where they it could be defined by something they want. I love this chair, <laughs> but go ahead. I'm glad you do. It is the most one of the most comfortable chairs in the world. It sure is. So going back to your that connection into the whacking, I, I don't wanna like name something that's not right, but from my perspective it kinda had a resurgence in the earlier two thousand that's been growing for the last decade. And that's it's just the my only it's the only dance that has ever had a resurgence like this. What there what was, was there that? has never been the twist, the fruit, all of these dances that they did before, this is the only dance that has had a resurgence like this. The only one. And what was it like for you being reached out to? So you were saying Brian was asking you questions or like how... For years. So what was your experience? And also Jeffrey. Jeffrey Mm -hmm. was the first one. Mm -hmm. Brian wasn't the first. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey was the first. Ah, first... To ask me to do oh, the dance. Okay. You know, Brian was just intelligent enough to go and, and research and do what he did to to, yeah. to get this, you know, and, and, and to do this, you know, so. Yeah. And from my perspective, um, he I just remember him being bringing up different dance names when I first took from him. And, and he was just like, you guys, there are so many different dance styles. Go learn about them okay, fine, like, you know, I'll start to teach you. And then he was like, you know, I wasn't there. Let me hand it over. And that was my perspective. I I hope I don't get in trouble for it. It's how I I remember it. Well, well, this is is your life. Yeah. 
It, 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 don't don't be apologetic this, for it. Um, I try. I know it's so much politics. I just tiptoe as best as I can because I really just I care about the dance. I care about getting my dance on. I don't want to get caught up in a web of anything else. So you started teaching us. I remember two thousand five ish. And what do you think had this resurgence happen at the time that it happened? I mean, it's really like it's so global now. The resurgence is again, you know, I would have to take some of the credit, not all of it, but some of the credit for the resurgence because mm -hmm. when I start teaching, I was blessed with being able to teach some of the most not only talented but creative people that I could create, you know. And most of all of my students that studied under me, they've now taken this dance and and they're known worldwide for doing it. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm very grateful to that, you know. Uh, my whole point in teaching this dance is so that people will not forget who Andrew, Arthur, Tinker, Mickey, Michelangelo, who all of these people are, because in the dance world, in the whole dance world, the street dance world, if you want to call it, they have, they, they have a place in this, and I don't want people to not know that 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 to not for them to not be recognized for for their accomplishments and what they did for this dance. That's my purpose for teaching. How do people find footage? Or I know that you give your music, which I think is amazing. You give um, music to people who come to your classes, Michelangelo. The best footage that they can possibly get mm -hmm. would be the Diana Ross. Okay. Because when they're looking at the Diana Ross, they're looking purely at those at those were the dancers. The Diana Ross video with 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 her uh, with her dancers, I can't be any more specific than that. Oh no! Which just any Diana Ross video is there a specific song? Mm -hmm. specific it's the Diana Ross voice? video when she did her live Vegas act. Okay, great. Which year do you remember? I don't know. Okay, it might be seventy six, seventy five, some something around there. What's your opinion um, word that you want to give on I know it's a can be a tough thing for later generations, including my generation, when we have a dance that we've learned from a different time, are teaching it and we wanna add our own spin. We wanna like mix it up with something else but also be respectful. What's your opinion on that? The preserving the originality but also being an innovator? You have to be very careful because you can't reclaim something that's already been claimed. Mm. You can't do it, you know. And 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 when you alter the music to a dance, mm -hmm. when you alter the music, when you change the dance, you alter the dance. Mm. You see what I'm saying? When you yeah. change, when the dance, you know, because it becomes something different because mm -hmm. the music is something different. I tell all my classes this, and I will always tell them this. I, I think everybody, everybody has a right to teach. This is America. It's a very opportunistic place. Mm -hmm. But my concern is, is that when you teach whatever it is that you teach, and you're not being completely truthful about what you're doing, and, and I mean this by saying, if you're teaching a dance, and let's just say you're going to make up stuff at home, and then take it back into uh, the dance studio and say, well, this is this is so-and-so-and-so, -and -so -and -so. 
you have to let your students know exactly what you're doing. You have to let them know, well, I made this up at home and this is something that I want to do so that your students can have a right to sit there and go, well, yes, maybe I want to do it or no, I want to learn it the original because, and you also have to tell them that this is not the original way that it was done. Mm -hmm. This is my way. Do, mm. do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's important. Which P.S. I do when I've taught whacking classes. You know, it, it's it, it's important for them that it's important for them to recognize. It's important for them to value. You know, and in that way, you're not showing any disrespect to the dance or the people that had did the dance before you. Yeah, yeah. So to say this is like what I learned as such, and if you do something different, saying, "Hey, this is me doing something different with it." Let the students know that it's not the original way. Yeah. It's not the way that they did it before. Yeah. You can, or it's not the music that they used. Yeah. Just don't go in there and use some house music or use some 80s music and, 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 and let these people that have put their trust in you think that this is what that is. That's not right. That's not fair. Mm. That's, that's all that I'm saying. I hear you. Now, you have a right to change it, and you have a right to be... Uh, how do you say it? A new generation, and this is what we... It's fine. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. But let them know that it's not the original way. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> what would you like to see for dance in 10 years? I'd like to see a summit. I'd like to see... Because, because we're in a new age, mm -hmm. I'd like to see the egos drop down. Because what's going to happen? Because it, it, it seems to me like everybody's out for self. They're either out for money or to be famous. And I don't think it's necessarily about the money. I think it's more about them being famous. But they got to be very careful when they do that. Because our dance, our dance scene is very small mm -hmm. in, the whole thing of in the whole thing of world. Mm -hmm. In the whole thing of the world. You should be a little bit more concerned about at this point about which is which is good for this generation because this is the first generation that's at least trying to understand and get to know the history of these dances. Mm -hmm. They weren't trying to do that before. This generation is doing that. But in the process, this generation also should be concerned now more about uh 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 you know uh What's going to happen to me if I'm on tour? Mm -hmm. You know, they need to be looking ahead. You know, they need to be looking at, you know, getting ready to get some kind of retirement home so that these people can retire with. Yeah. This is what they need to be concentrating on because I'm going to tell you something. I, I love all of, all of us to death, mm -hmm. but out of the whole entertainment business, yeah. if the whole entertainment industry, dancers are the most physical and the least respected. And because of that, you know, most of them don't even know how to care about themselves if they injure themselves. And they'll be the first ones because they're the most physical to, to, to injure themselves. So it means that they need, to, they need to have some sort of health plan, special mm -hmm. health plan, dental plan. They need to have all of this. You know, they need to be able to do all of this. They need to start form. They need to start getting lawyers together so that they can start... I'm not saying do it all now, but it, there needs to be a place where you can start doing this. You know, mm -hmm. there needs to be a, 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 a respect with the OGs. Mm -hmm. I think the OGs need to be they just like myself. We need to be we need to come we need to be taken at task. So when we tell you something, you have to you have the right to say, well, what proof is there? 
because your generation is so interested, so easy to just listen and just accept everything without any kind of proof that it it it, it causes dissension. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing where you can do that. But you but but whatever people are telling you, they need to be able to prove. If they can't prove it to you, then it's not true. That, that it, that's not that it's not true, but it's just that it's not proven. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So it means that it might be factual and it might not be. But if it's proven, then it's proven. But it's up to you. Whatever whatever style it is, you have to ask people. You know, but you're you're so. You know, these people out here now, they're so cunning. I think the word is cunning and, and smart that they sit there and they befriend you so that you won't have to do that. Mm. You know, they make you smile. In my class, I'm not like that. Because mm-hmm. I tell a person in a minute, I don't care. I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you dislike me. I'm not here for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to make you work good. Mm. There's a difference, you know. The problem with these people now is that some of them will teach you a little bit about the dance, but they won't teach you how to do the dance. They won't tell. They, they won't teach because they don't know. Mm. They don't know themselves. And history is history. Do you see what I'm saying? But I'm so I'm so glad that that, that this new generation, and and I think that has a lot to do with the internet. You know, the internet with your generation is is is. Has, has opened up all kinds of everything. Mm-hmm. And that could be a wonderful thing. It could be a good thing. But, you know, you have to go out there. Now it's you, since you want to learn the history, you have to go out there and not only learn it, but you've got to go out there and, and start discerning what is true and what is not mm-hmm. for the next generation, since mm-hmm. you've taken this all up, because that would be your part of it. Does any of this make sense? It does, because I know there's... And then you're also talking about a summit because now everybody's starting to travel. Everybody's starting to go everywhere. Yeah. And that's a good thing. But you also got to be very careful because many of these people that are doing this, you know, they bring drugs, they bring alcohol, they bring all of this stuff. They bring a lot of little things with them. And you got to be careful on who you're letting to come in, where, how, when. Are you talking about teachers? Every Teachers that travel everywhere. Okay. You know, because you know, uh, we're not, we're not, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not uh, obsolete from uh, uh, from drug abuse, from all of this other stuff too. So you have to be careful. Yeah. Because you know, when you when when you're coming down, you're drag when you're dragged down, you're dragging everything down. So you know, you got to be you, you got to be a little bit more. So I think a summit might help because in that way. If you do a summit, we can all get together and we can all discuss the things that we need to discuss. Not when it comes to dance, but how we can how we can rec- how we can how we can make it even be a, a bit more stronger globally. Mm-hmm. You know, because we can't now just think of ourselves. You know, this is a global impact. These yeah. people are doing what they're doing globally. Yeah, and we all have a right to do that, and we and we all should and, and we all should start to know better. But you know, you need to start working on 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 on, on the healthcare, on the retirement, and and what was the last? What was the other thing that I was saying? In 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 in, in the trips, those are, those are the important. Travel. The travels, those are important issues. You know, uh, then you have people undercutting people for price and all yeah. of this, and that's and that's good too. But that needs to be put in perspective. That's put in perspective by 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 generational things. 
Yeah. You know, and that should and, and it should be logged like that because I look at whacking as a generational thing. Mm-hmm. The first generation of whackers would be the ones that are no longer here. Can you or the majority of them. The generations of whacking. And then you have the second generation. The second generation are the ones that's taught by the first. Then you have the third generation. They're the generations that's taught by the second. Then you have the fourth generation. Those are the generations taught by the third. And you have to put it in that perspective. Which generation are you and then which generation am I? I'm second. Okay. You would be third. Okay. Because I was taught by the originals. And, and then you were taught by me. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you see where that? You see how that goes? Yes. It's a generational thing. So the people that you learn from on Soul Train, first generation. Not not Soul Train. Okay. No 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 no. I just want to make sure. The, I'm some clear. of the people that went on Soul Train, okay. I learned from these people that were in them clubs. Okay. Because a lot of those people that went in them clubs didn't go on Soul Train. Some of them did finally make it on there. Andrew Arthur made it on Soul Train. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of them. You know, and then mm-hmm. we're not even talking about Geno's. We're not even talking about Michelangelo. Because mm-hmm. that's the music part of it. Mm-hmm. Then you got to talk about the fashion part of whacking. Then you've got to talk about the fact that people get up there and go, oh, well, it's, it's a gimmick. The whole point is a gimmick. The dance is a gimmick. You know, you have house, you have hip-hop. You know, you're dancing your way through there. But when you're you're dealing with voguing and whacking, those are two things that really stand by what you have on and the way you use what you have. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The girls, Mm -hmm. they they, they throw all of this hair in their hair. And then they start swinging their hair. And then the hair goes up. You know, all of that, and a lot of that hair isn't theirs. So they have to add the extensions to do that. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. So it, it's a prop to make the dance even look bigger. And and, and it's and, and that's not a bad thing. And it's the same thing with whacking. Whacking is the same thing. It's it's these are the only two dances that make a woman that 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 that, that, that promotes a woman's femininity. Mm-hmm. So it means you have to have female. You have to you have to it, to me, it's a dance that, you know, this is a grown woman's dance. It's not a little girl's dance. You know, yeah. you, look on, you look on Facebook and they look angry because they look like they're fighting because their arms are going swinging and swinging. And I'm like, that's not the dance. It's a little bit of the dance, but it's not all of it. But that's all that you know because that's all that you do. Yeah. Because you don't know anything else and, and, and some of you refuse to listen and you can't do that because that's not the way the first generation of these kids danced. Because if you start doing what you're doing, you're going to lose the whole thing, just like they lost it in jazz. Mm. Just like they lost it in jazz. Can you touch on that right now real quick with well, jazz? Well, jazz was, jazz, when jazz came out, it came out with its own dance. Mm. But now when you take a jazz class now, it's a whole different thing. They don't play any of that jazz music. They don't dance any kind of jazz. It's completely different. Yeah. But they call it jazz. And you know what jazz is. That's the shimmy. That's the uh, uh, the, the Lindy. That, all of that stuff comes out of jazz. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that being taught in no dance class. No jazz. The music isn't even the same. When was the last time you heard Duke Ellington being played in the jazz class? And that's jazz. Yeah. It's changed. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what will happen. Because these people will hijack this dance and make it whatever it wants. Meanwhile, the root, the, the essence of it will go away. Yeah. 
And that's what I'm trying not to have happen to whacking. It's a fight because I'm doing it by myself, but the important part is is the music. It's key. Yeah. And if you don't play the right music to this, you'll be doing the wrong things. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I hear you. I love you all. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you hate me from this moment on. Do that. It's okay. I'm going to go back to my house and live. You know, I've, I've already done this. You're trying to do this now. There's a difference. Yeah. There's a big difference. There's a difference between a want and a need. Most of these teachers that are teaching us, they need to do this because they need to be popular. They want to have the accolades. I don't need to do this. I want to do this. Yeah. You can leave me alone and I'm good. Yeah. I'm 60-something years old. I've been there. I've done this. What I'm giving you is I'm just, I'm just trying to prep you for what's going to happen later. Yeah. If you don't start taking care of this now, because the next generation that follows you, they're going to question you. Mm-hmm. Well, if this is the right music, why are they playing this music? Doesn't that make sense? Mm-hmm. It ain't me. What would you like to be remembered for in dance? This is what I'd like to be remembered. These words and these words only. And this is the last thing that I'm going to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand the music, you will never understand the dance. Mm -hmm. Tyrone, thank you so much for taking precious time out of your trip here in Los Angeles. I really appreciate you sharing your history, your knowledge, your heart. I don't take it lightly. I love you very much. And I thank you also for doing this with love because you really do teach and share with a lot of love. So thank you. Okay, so turn the TV on and let's watch HGTV. (laughs) I don't have cable. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our Dance Speak podcast. For inquiries, suggestions, comments on your favorite guests, or who you'd like to see on the show, please email us at dancespeakpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-N-C-E-S-P-E-A-K-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And check back in next week for our latest interview. Thank you so much.